Not since Psycho, Clockwork Orange, and Death Wish has there been a motion picture that will force you to sit through such stark brutality and moral abuse. You will be fascinated and spellbound by the bizarre terror of a man without a heart, without a soul, without a conscience. The Death Dealer. Welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Colesploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. What's going? Doing all right. And uh, trying to get this podcast off the ground for a couple, an hour now, but doing all right. We are... uh, Trying like an hour and a half. I know. Like 90 minutes of futzing about. (laughs) We're coming at you with an episode that we had been talking about we were going to do. A Polizioteski movie, and we are indeed going to bring you a Polizioteski movie. We're we're talking about um, an Umberto Lenzi movie as well. Uh, now I don't know you you're not very well versed in Polizioteski. Yeah, I think this is your first one that you've seen, right? Yes. And I'm not super. I don't. I I have seen a few, but I'm not like super well versed in it. Uh, I've really only dipped my toes in, and. Uh, but ultimately, I'm interested in the movies. It's just that for whatever reason, I focus more on Jallo and Spaghetti Western than I have Polizioteschi. So, I don't know why, but it is what it is. And now I'm trying to rectify that by catching up on Polizioteschi movies. Um, with that said, we should probably uh, explain what that means for, for those people who don't really know. Um, Polizioteschi is basically just an Italian crime drama. It's, uh, you know, it's a crime caper. Sometimes it's uh, you focused on a criminal. Sometimes it's focused on inspectors or detectives or whatever. Um, but it's less about murder, right? So like Jello is more about inspectors and murder and detective work and stuff like that. Uh, Polizioteschi is more about like crime stuff where the criminal is engaged in like illegal activity, but generally not a lot of like serial killer murders. It's more like... Um, kidnappings or robberies or you know crime sprees things like that so that's where police Tessie comes in because the police are on the case trying to catch the criminal i thought it was uh german for whale's vagina yeah you know <laughs> i know i know when you say that it just it makes you think like wait wait no that's san diego san diego <laughs> that's german for whale's vagina <laughs> One day we will do Anchorman. Yeah, at some point we will. It'd be almost a sin not to ever do Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy uh, on this podcast, seeing as we are filthy millennials. Agreed. Um, so so the uh, Policia Teske we're talking about today is actually, it, it, it comes because, uh, we picked this one because Severn Films just released this in a nice box set. Uh, and the box set is, kind of, it's kind of long-winded, but it's called Violent Streets. The Umberto Lenzi slash Tomas Milian collection. And so it's basically collecting films that were directed by Umberto Lenzi and starred Tomas Milian. Uh, and this film happens to be one of those. Now, if you don't know Umberto Lenzi, uh, he is probably more known for his horror work than he was for his Polizioteschi, but he dabbled in both. Um, so. You know, he, he did a lot of, uh, of uh, giallo films, horror movies, um, Polizioteskis, uh, uh, even some um, uh, 007 James Bond ripoffs. Um, yeah, he, he, he did this one called uh, 008 Operation Exterminate. 
<laughs> from 1965. I love it. I love it. He's over this spy who loved flowers as well. Well, that's I mean, that's, well, that from what you're popping up on your IMDb right now, that's uh, a lot earlier than the spy who loved me. So yeah, yeah. But he's also the man who wrote uh, Gloria. Gloria. Yeah. You know the song Gloria. Oh. Oh wait. Okay. No, okay. no wait. No, that's Umberto Tozzi. Never mind. <laughs> No, but uh, Umberto Lenzi is really well known for his work on the um, the cannibal films of the early 1980s. Uh, he did Cannibal Pharaoh. He did Eaten Alive, um, uh, all hitting at the same time, around the same time as Cannibal Holocaust. And that's probably his did uh, from made to prove to it. Yeah, but you know what? He's also known for his. Um, Italian crime dramas, and that's what we're covering him for on here. And the one that we're covering today is called Almost Human, although it's also known by a number of names, including uh, The Exterminator, um, The uh, Death Dealers, um, and my personal favorite of them is the the actual Italian title, which is Milan Hates. Uh, the cops, what is it? The cops can't shoot. The police can't. The shoot. police. The police can't shoot. Yeah, that's my favorite one because it is such a ridiculous title. <laughs> we watched it under the the name The Executioner. Which oh, was... I said I said Exterminator. I meant Executioner. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's a different um, film called The Exterminator. You can tell when they rebranded it as The Death Dealer. They were riding the coattails of Death Wish on that one. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Bronson's giving these punks a death wish here. It's like he's death dealer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just I love sometimes the ridiculous nature of Italian film names. And this one's no different. Of course, for different markets, they they name this all kinds of different things. Almost human for me is probably my least favorite of the titles that it's go it goes by. Because But it's it, it's the most metaphorical. It it sure is. It is. Almost Human now, though, has come to remind me there's a lot of like science fiction type movies that are like known by Almost Human, and that's kind of what it reminds me of. But you're right. This movie does have thematic metaphors about humanity and uh, the the protagonist's um, uh, morals and things like that that really does make sense in the scheme of the movie. But it is my least favorite title for this movie. But you might, uh, like, you, like you said, you might know it by different titles. Um... So it's it's you know it's one of those Italian movies that you just has various different names that you might recognize. That's like my favorite part though about like a, t- a lot of Italian films is the names are always these like abstract but overly literal names. Yep. Like you know, oh like what what's what's Dawn of the Dead gonna be called in Italy? Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's what they did. They they gave them all different kinds of names and they didn't really go. It was mostly to do mass marketing, right? So it was a very, uh, very smart maneuver from from them to go and try to figure out what would be the best, uh, the best title to market in this specific uh, part of the world. Because this got a really large release, got a worldwide release, it got various releases in other countries. So, um, you know, they were marketing to every every possible iteration that they could think of so this movie um uh does start tomas milian as the um he's a protagonist but really you can call him an anti-hero he's he's not even really a hero honestly he's he's mostly the antagonist of the movie but we follow him um he's like our viewpoint into almost human um and tomas milian as i said worked with Umberto Lenzi quite a bit on Poliziteski. Um and he really fits the part of a anti-hero figure. You know, he's got that um brooding sensibility to him. He's got very distinctive facial expressions um that you'd actually notice quite a bit from Italian actors. Those are kinds of you know, like thinking about spaghetti westerns too. He does have very specific like facial features that spaghetti westerns often employ, especially like um, the roustabouts that are, uh, you know, around salon, saloons and stuff like that. They he he has that same kind of uh, facial expression at times. I think I I say I think it's mainly 
lot of that has to do with the fact that Italian films are, uh, they're made and then they dub them over later because they usually have a cavalcade of, uh, and do the sound later because they have Absolutely. a cavalcade of different European and English speaking people. And uh, here though, it's almost like, why the hell wouldn't you just record the audio to begin with? Everyone's mm-hmm. a fucking American, I mean, Italian in this, like, except for like two people. Yeah, Henry Silva is not, and uh, a couple other people are not. But for the most part, yeah, they're pretty much all Italian. But yeah, you're right. Even like, did you watch the English dub? Yeah, I did. It's yeah. it's yes, <laughs> I know, I know. But then, if did you did you even turn on the Italian dub at all? No, but okay, I don't want to spoil it because I'm like Jesus Christ. I'm already like I know I sunk I, into the this dubbing. <laughs> I turned on the Italian dub for a little bit, and I I didn't really think it was that much better because again they did do a lot of overdubbing on um pretty much everybody, and so it really again it still is like not satisfying. Um, but I would say that in the English dub, the really really poor dubbing comes from Julio himself because I think the guy that they got to play Julio is just not suited for this type of performance. He really does not um i don't know he's he's not very uh um so what i'm looking for very uh he's like an incredibly overacting uh dinner theater version of al pacino yeah yeah i i, I guess <laughs> just like we he's it's difficult to see him in this role like with that voice but i thought the dubbing was pretty terrible but then when i switched to the italian i was like eh, it's not that much better so I guess I'll go back to the English. Um, yeah, uh, so let's take a break real quick before we get into the film anymore, and let's talk about the beer that we got on the show today because we do have a new one here, and uh, it's one I've been looking for for quite some time. Um, I knew it was coming out, but I didn't know when it would be in our area, and it, sh- it surely now is. So what would you grab for us today, Martin? I grabbed us uh, Sierra Nevada because uh, you've been asking for seven times over they got a new torpedo out they got a cold hop torpedo out and i said great a cold hop beer just what i don't give a shit about and that was actually my mistake on that one i was thinking it was a cold ipa and that they do have that they do have a cold ipa torpedo but this is not technically that (laughs) (laughs) i was i was mistaken in my my assumptions about the Sierra Nevada anyway. But, uh, yeah, they have a new pack out. It's like their new hop pack and it comes from the pale ale, which I can't wait to drink some of those because it's going to be so delightful. Uh, the tor- torpedo. Yeah, they give yeah. you the regular pale ale. They give you what, like a regular torpedo? Regular torpedo, a yeah. dankful IPA. Uh, which is good. It would be great if it was the Ruthless Rye instead, but mm-hmm. it's neither here nor there. But also, the the one main thing that you're trying to get out of this pack is the new one that's in there, and it's their Cryo Fresh Torpedo, which is a wet hops, cryo freeze IPA. Mm. And it is really delightful. I was very pleasantly surprised by this. I think this is probably one of the most exciting beers that I've had from Sierra Nevadas and uh, uh, a new beer, I should say. You know, I was actually very excited about the uh, Celebration IPA that they had, uh, you know, they normally have for like Thanksgiving and Christmas time because that's that's a really Delightful. solid IPA. I love that one. It's uh-huh. a very, it's a very, uh, as we have both said before, we've done it and talked about it because we talk about it like every winter season. It's a delightfully underrated delightful offering that they give us during the winter season. Yeah, and, and having that actually gave me some more appreciation for Sierra Nevada because it's been a little little while since I've had anything from them that I thought was anything to write home about. So um, I kind of got more into it and I saw they were bringing out this new pack and I, I thought that was pretty exciting. And, and now to have it, I think they did a really good job with this one. Um, so, the, you know, all the buzzwords are on here, cryo, wet hop, shit like that. Honestly, if you're not a brewer, do you really care that much about it? Probably not. 
you don't <laughs> like for for the process that they're going through it's like great you know i'm sure the brewers really came up with the process and blah 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 and um you know sure the recipe is uh fascinating and stuff like that but I don't really care about that. I don't think most normal beer drinkers do either. And to be honest with you, the the catchphrases that are being used now, and I'll use your term bandied about, I don't really care about it anymore. As as you said, with the cold IPAs, it's all fucking marketing. So I'll just throw that on the label. The, the people will flock to it because sounds cool. So I don't really care about the cryoness of it so much. But what I do think is it's they're using um a new varietal of hop. A uh, new one from Yakima, which if you've followed like Sloop, I think we've done a, a beer from Sloop where they've used some experimental Yakima hops. And the same is true of what the Sierra Nevada is doing. They're using an experimental varietal that was pretty much, I, I think, grown specifically for this torpedo. And whatever it is, you know, whatever hop varietal it is, it's really fucking good. Um, the label says that they were able to isolate this specific hop to get pure lupulin from it. Again, all just buzzwords. But at the end of the day, this is a really solid IPA from them. Uh, I think it actually blows the regular torpedo out of the water. Pun intended. <laughs> I just have to laugh at that. Uh, but I think this one is is better than the re- original torpedo. And I, I I would really come back to this. I'm I'm actually disappointed that I only have one. I'll probably have to pick up this pack for myself because I do think that this Cryofresh Torpedo is is an excellent new beer from them. Your turn. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. As I'm taking a sip as my of my newly fresh crack log because uh, audio shenanigans earlier making us delay this episode. It's really good. It's not really torpedo weeks. If I would say, if anything, that Sierra Nevada's torpedo is known for is the fact that it's West Coast IPA on steroids. Very piney, very citrusy, very hoppy, very bitter. A delightful, you know, double uh, West Coast bog standard IPA. That's you know, I still think like their pale ale has said has stood the test of time. And maybe that's a little bit of nostalgia just for the, because it's not a hazy. This, though, is like a nice balance of a West Coast IPA with a slight twist on it. I think the fact that it has the, excuse me, well, there's another one, that it has, <laughs> that it has that wet hop the aspect to it, um, it's definitely... A in go between a regular West Coast IPA and a double, but I think that what uh, the hops, you know, the process that they used to make this, adds a slight juiciness to it that isn't like like a hazy or New England IPA exactly, but it does add like a when you're drinking it, you're not thinking like oh, this is pure bitter, piney, uh. West Coast style. It has like a roundness to it. Um another complexion to the taste. It's more it's more nuanced. The juiciness is more just the fact that like the taste itself, the body is diff- it's different and more like a hazy. I like it a lot. It's for seven percent, you know, beer, it's incredibly crushable, drinkable, enjoyable, yet you're still getting that West Coast Classic style IPA with the hops, the bitterness, the pininess, the citrusness. I like this a lot. This is very good. And Fidens take note because this is what a, because this is what a West Coast IPA tastes like. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true though. That is true. You're you're right about that. And that's right. one the, I'd say that's one of many many reasons why I love Sierra Nevada because it's like again. Whether you like what they do now or not, you could always go back to the Torpedo and Pale Ale and be like, yep, they haven't changed those at all. So it's just like, yep, that's those are fucking the good times right there. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, the Pale Ale is, is amazing. It's always been amazing. So I know. Like, that's why, like, like I said, I can't wait to crack into those. Like, oh, hello, old friend. It's nice to see you again. 
definitely. All right, so let's move on to Almost Human or The Executioner or um, Milan Hates, which is my favorite. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. So this movie is an interesting movie. Um, I think that it has a really kind of unique take on a Polizioteschi where we see the criminal element first and foremost. We see we're at the forefront of the the criminal element because we are following the criminal. Uh, we're following Julio as he's kind of a two-bit criminal. He really uh, doesn't have a gang behind him. Um, he actually gets, we see him initially get in trouble with his gang because he's uh, involved in a robbery that kind of goes awry when he accidentally, I mean, not accidentally, he does it on purpose, but when he has to kill a police officer on duty uh, and a, wa- yeah, a watchman. He's a watchman. <laughs> and it ultimately, you know, his, his, uh, his gang overlord uh, Mahoney is like, what the fuck? did you do that for um you know what did you really need to murder that guy and and julio's like sure i did and he's like you could have fucking said i left my wallet at home you asshole (laughs) draw the heat on us from this so like he doesn't julio doesn't really have a gang behind him he kind of has mahoney but at the same time it's not like he's truly involved with him like to not like it's his you know his mob boss or anything like that so we're following Julio and, you know, he's basically going through this um, this plan of how he's going to make more money. And it's pretty funny because, like, we're following him as the antagonist and even his girlfriend is like, you could always just, like, get a job or something, right? Like, you could just go do something. And he's like, what? Get a job? I don't think so. Um, so what does he do? He settles for a kidnapping scheme because he knows that his girlfriend's boss has this, you know, he's very rich. Uh, and they actually, they talk in Lyra. So he's like a billion Lyra billionaire uh, in Lyra. And he decides that he's going to kidnap this guy's daughter. Um, and that's pretty much the plan in almost human. Like that's what we get the setup for. And um, most of the movie is situated around Julio trying to um, get this, set in motion and i think that's kind of interesting you know that we are following him from an antagonist viewpoint of like this guy's doing these heinous things and we're kind of just following along for the ride to see what happens um so the beginning of this movie starts out really explosive right because we see the robbery um happening we don't see the actual robbery itself and i guess that's a deleted scene um that's included on severance blu-ray but I almost feel like it's not even a robbery. They're about to rob it, and then he goes off half cocked and shoots the cops, and he's like, I need help! And they're like, fuck! Yeah, like they didn't even get anything done. They were just like walked in the door. He shoots the <laughs> Like, Jesus Christ, we didn't even put on the masks yet. It's the vibe I got from that. It's like, you know, like they didn't get to do any of the fun heist of the Grand Theft Auto bank heist. They. You know, so they're gunmen. Yeah, well, they're wheelmen. Shot the cop, and they're like, fuck, god damn it! Now we gotta go out there. I know. They, but it has a really great like chase sequence in the beginning part. I think they did a really good job with the chase. Um, you know, kind of the explosiveness of it to really set this movie in motion. Um, and I think probably the only negative, it, the downside to that, is that the middle portion of the movie is a little bit too slow compared to the opening moments. I think that it kind of actually winds down instead of winding up for most of the movie. And we, we're kind of left with a middle that's just a little bit too slow for my tastes um, because it's a lot of setup, right? It's a lot of um, Julio trying to find like a team. And really, he just recruits a couple guys from the street who are like, yeah, I guess that sounds good, man. We'll kidnap her as long as there's a billion lira in it. Uh, I guess we'll do that. And they don't even like the thing about his recruiting is it's kind of funny. It like shows how even though he thinks he's a really smart guy that's going to get away with this kidnapping, like he's really not that good at being a crime boss. Um, the guys that he recruits, first of all, he's not even really sure that he can trust them. They're not really sure that he can they can trust him, and they're barely 
even into the plot itself. Like the one guy, um, what's his name? Um, not Vittorio, but the other one. Um, Carmine. Carmine. Car Carmine is, I think, how they say it in this movie. It's, it's most God, that bot bothered me throughout. And so, right, where they say Carmine. Carmine, not Car, you know, Carmine. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I know. Yeah, that that guy, he's like, you know, kind of baby faced and uh, new to the world of crime, and he's just kind of like, I don't think I want to do any of this stuff that you're having me do. Eventually, yeah. he kind of succumbs to it, but he's like, I have a nice mullet. I don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to mess all that up. I've got a good thing going here. I got a good, good shtick. Mary um, is looking at me nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Mary Lou is the the kidnapped girl uh, in this movie, played by Laura Belly, and uh, she is uh, a star tennis player, according to her. That's where they <laughs> they initially meet her on the tennis court, and she's like playing tennis in a really, really, really short skirt without like normal, you know, pant leggings on underneath. She's got like her underwear on. She's like, look how good I could play tennis, and then she proceeds to whiff. And foul off every single tennis ball that comes her way. It's pretty it, hilarious. See, it's like a bad porno, like like sitting there playing tennis, like look at me, you know, like you know, crappily hitting the ball barely over the mat. The other thing about this too is like these three obviously like criminal-looking guys, brightness-looking kids, <laughs> just standing there. On the tennis court, in like in this tennis court, it looks like it's kind of in the middle of nowhere too. There's like woods behind it. <laughs> They're out in the middle of nowhere, just like these three random guys are just staring at them playing tennis. No one says a thing. They're not like, why are you here? <laughs> why do you keep leering at me? I say it's the seventies. It's different. Like, oh, you know. And the thing I like too about this. At times, the writing really does not make a lot of sense, and there's a there are a lot of plot holes in this movie. But one that I think is interesting is Julio really doesn't care that he gets seen at like everywhere, like he, at the tennis court. He just basically tells her his name and is openly leering at her, but everyone can see. Um, and later on, he shows up at a crime scene where he's he's just killed at a police officer. Um, he really doesn't care, and and I, that is truly sometimes criminal behavior to return to the scene of the crime and kind of get embroiled in the 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 criminal case but at the same time i think like he's taking so many dumb maneuvers in this movie that it does it makes sense that he would eventually get caught the problem is the police are not very good at their jobs in this movie i mean we first get the introduction of uh, the uh inspector walter grandy who's played by henry silva um and he seems like he kind of knows what he's doing. But the rest of the police outfit really seems like it's kind of bumbling. Did you get that feeling? I just, they're, they're not involved. He, it seems like they're, he's, yeah. the only, he's the only one on the case and that really cares about what's happening at all. Like, so like, it's, not, it's not like he's John Saxon, you know, you know, stuck with a bunch of idiots because no one else has, you know, been put to the task. I do. And, I, and because. They go the stereotypical route of of these films, because uh, what is Polizioteschi but just American, you know, vigilante films of the seventies, which is why the this is so much fun. It's just you have cops that are because it's supposed to be portraying this idea of like crime is rampant, nobody does anything, and the cops like. I mean, I do. I can't fucking do anything except the one lone ranger who's like, God damn it, I'm going to go out there. If I got to kill him, I'm going to do it. That's right. Just, you know, to bring justice. And That's grandy. And, and that's why it's kind of funny because out of all the people in the world you could have as like this lone ranger vigilante, Henry Silva as Walter Grandy is not your fucking the guy you're going to be sitting there thinking of, you know, with his buddies drinking a scotch, like, God damn it. There's a. One more fucking killing out there. I'm just gonna go crazy. Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of funny because, uh, Silva actually would often play like, um, kind of like a cr the criminal element himself, but here he's playing a very uptight, um, he's turtlenecked, I know, say Spectre guy who's turtlenecked, bell bottomed, sideburns for days, like the 70s, 
and by this point it ate him up totally like he's like super early 70s it's awesome <laughs> yeah i mean he has a nice presence he has a very imposing presence his facial features the the construction of his face itself he certainly has like a striking uh figure and i think that makes him a really interesting counterpoint to julio because julio is kind of like this goofy fucked up goofing off guy and Henry Silva comes in and he's very, very serious. He's taking this case very seriously. He's like, it's almost like they murdered his children here because he's he's taking it so seriously. You know what it's kind of reminds me of? It's a live action like Lupin adaptation. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot more um, like, I don't know, hard boiled at times. No, I mean, Lupin well, would be. Well, so is the manga and the. Yeah. The first series before Miyazaki got on. Well, I'm just saying because, like, every like, like you were saying, like, how, like, rubbery uh, Tomas Milan as Julio is, like, with his facial, you know, uh, affectations and how everything's really played seriously. And then uh, Henry Silva kind of gives me, like, that, uh, as uh, Inspector Walter Grandi, that uh, early Zenigata kind of, like, he's. Not bumbling, but he's like onto it and he's pissed off because he knows what's going on and he's getting pissed off that he's getting the run around, mm-hmm. you know. So it kind of gives me that, you know, uh, which would have been airing at the time too, like uh, first series uh, Lupin the Third vibes, which yeah, for me, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, you know, to be fair to in this movie, Walter Grandy, you know, kind of he knows that. Um, the, the police forces and specifically the vice squad kind of working hand in hand with the criminals as well. Cause we, we do see at one point Mahoney taking in money from the vice squad they you're, um, sorry, giving money out to the vice squad, uh, basically as like payment to look the other way for their illegal, uh, illicit stuff. So, you know, they know that they know that the, the, you know, the illegal stuff is taking place. And again, it's, it's somewhat about corruption. Uh, within the police force as well as like this one lone guy who's like, you know what, I'm not going to stand for this fucking vigilante bullshit anymore. Uh, or this uh, criminal bullshit anymore. I'm going v- vigilante mode on on this guy. And that's pretty much the the film. You've got the two, you know, the two main characters. And as the film plays out, Julio kind of gets into like these shenanigans. There's one point where he, um, as I mentioned before, he's like just trying to steal some Lyra from a, a machine and knifes a police officer in the process and it's you know it's meant to show like what it where's this guy's moral boundary right like wait you just just over 600 lira he's gonna kill this guy um and the film kind of kind of goes into that and that's where we get that title that you were mentioning metaphorically of almost human like where is the moral boundary the conundrum of of what this guy stands for and later on you know he goes into this villa where a few people are having a party and all of a sudden, they string them up onto like this uh, chandelier and have them spun around in like a sort of roulette style game where they hold on around naked. You're forgetting the part too where he's saying they need to be pleasured as he's pulling down the zippers of his uh, comrade. They have the ladies next to him, and he's got the man with the sultry mustache next to him, and he's like, I can't do that. And he's like, What? This is the modern age. We can gay shit's fine. <laughs> there you go. You know, like or whatever he said. Like it's like that's meant to be taken as sadism. Like well, not sadism. Uh, like he's sinning. Like you know, like the, this is an example of modern. You know, modern day Italy gone awry with this. You know. These asshole sucking dick out there that you know that are men. That's that's wrong, damn it. You know, so we I mean we don't see it. It's not like it's, you know, last house on the left, but you know. Sure. The point you know, the the point's there. <laughs> but I mean you can see too, like there's there is some sort of moral moral boundary that he has, like in that villa scene where he, he has no problem murdering some people. He murders that they murder the old guy like right away. Well, he's got the money out, and he's like, yeah, I don't need money. And it's like, but it's your whole quest. 
<laughs> but but uh, after that, you know, he there's a, a a bang upstairs, and then he just shoots through the door upstairs, and he finds out like the, a teddy bear rolls down, which is kind of a the funniest overbearing thing. theme. No, 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 it's it's funny as shit though. Like the girl's like taking a piss, and she's done. It's like a four year old girl, and he just rips rips you know his uh his sten through it, and then we see the teddy bear fall down, not the girl or blood or anything, and like. And it's just like, you know, you're an animal, and then when the cop blows him away, yeah, when they they eventually show up on the crime scene, you're like, you know, and we see your body just lying there, like it's so trite and like forced, yeah, ridiculous, like you know. I know. Which, I mean, which, which, which you say, which this film and then a lot of films like this of the time, I feel like they use rape as a crutch too to kind of get that point across. Like, look, sure, look how it looked like, look how, because there's some rape in this film and it comes across as not like, you know, nuance or adding to the plot. It's more just, you know, adding depth to the story that's being told. It's more like, well, look at this. Like, you know, he's, he's so unhinged. Isn't this shocking? Yeah, never seen this a couple of years ago. Look at this, you know. And I think you know that is part of it. Is it's the the rape part is is shocking to be seeing what our protagonist will do. Um, but I, what I was getting at is like when he murders that kid, he kind of has like this breakdown of like, whoops, I didn't really mean to kill a kid there. And then he kind of goes ballistic because they keep you know keep harping on the fact that he killed that kid. So it it does show in a way there is a moral boundary that he has, uh, but at the same time he loses control often enough where the moral boundary doesn't really matter. We see that again later on in the movie too, um, after they've succeeded in actually getting the money from the kidnapping, he goes and kills the the woman Mary Lou, and you know his partner um, Carmine or Carmen, you know how Carmine, however you would like to say it, uh, he no, comes in and he's like, what? You say it right, Carmen. Eh? <laughs> he's like, "Why did you do that?" And he's like, ah, "I just had to." And then he he objects and basically he blows him away too. He has like this short temper where he can't control himself, and then blows away these guys. I mean, to be honest, you could probably argue that he was going to do that all along anyway, uh, to get well, rid of any loose ends. And well, we saw that from the beginning. Like there was literally nothing that triggered him to kill that cop when he fucking kills the cop. So he's yeah. just he's just defective in the head to begin with so yeah i mean and i i like that we follow him as a character because i think that it gives us some interesting dynamics here especially like normally you would follow probably follow walter grandy who is doing this investigation trying to figure this out and you'd go through the more investigative elements of the the crimes but here we follow julio and we get more of the the criminal element to this movie what what makes him a weak protagonist though is the fact that this film is made such from the perspective of like it's just so trite and stereotypical and just like oh look at this poor son of a bitch he's got no drive no desire what a what what a waste of space this person is, mm-hmm. and like he's not like yeah. he's not he's not like interesting. It's more the films framing him as he's our he's our protagonist, but he's just basically being framed as random Harlem guy in Death Wish that's about to get blown away from by Bronson, mm-hmm. you know. What makes, like, Death Wish, like, a compelling story to watch is because Bronson, Paul Kersey, is a, he's a bleeding heart liberal who, you know, was a conscientious objector during Korea, and he's sick and tired of fucking New York getting run down. Mm -hmm. And then you see the stereotypes that he runs into. Here, having him... Julio be the stereotypical unredeemable hood as a protagonist. It's not really engrossing to watch because he is 
meant to be a lecherous leech, an urchin of a character that has no redeeming qualities. If you were to think about like his, him and his relationship with his girlfriend, Yon, why the fuck would she ever stay around with him? She hasn't seen him in forever, and he shows up. He's like, hey, baby, let's get some money. I need your fucking money. And she's like, I have no money. He's like, come on, give me some money. Give me some money. She's like, I don't have any money. He's like, what if I fuck you? Are you like, hey, you okay? You know, what if I fuck you? And she's like, okay. You know, for good, fine. You know, and it's, yeah. I, he, so, you're, so you're saying that you don't really find him to be that interesting of a character to follow, even though he does, you know, he has that criminal element because he doesn't really have anything going for him in terms of a character itself. He's not really motivated by anything besides money. No, he's supposed to be a wretch, an urchin, which he, Thomas Milan does portray pretty, you know, really good. Well, but he's not interesting or anyone like that's worth following because they've made him so irredeemably a piece of shit. You can't really relate to his problems, whether they're valid or not, you know, and how he views society because he's meant to be in this type of film an irredeemable piece of shit. Mm -hmm. We get to see from other people in his, you know, his group, you know, we get to see, you know, through Carmine and, uh, Vittorio, uh, Vittorio, you know, like they have redeeming parts because they're like, they're conscious flickers every now and then. He's a, just a... Yeah, they do, they do have that. He's a sociopath. So there's no, there's no, right. there's no connection you can have with him. So it's not, it's not even like, well, he's an anti-hero. You, that, you still to be an anti-hero have to be somebody you can connect with. And he's not somebody that I feel like you can connect with. He's literally there to be bait to go to slaughter, which after what he does in the film is a fine thing. But he's not any, you know, he's not anyone to be celebrated or thought of. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I think that this film has a lot of uh, things going for it. I th- like, I think it's a pretty fun movie at times. I think that the the problem with it is that it has a really um, unsatisfying middle portion and it doesn't do a whole lot with character itself. And it really wastes a lot of time on just like setting up the the kidnapping scheme. Um, it's almost like, yeah, it, it's almost like it wants to be sort of like a clockwork orange at times. It's not. But, <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. At times it does feel like it's trying to... There's a couple of films, I would say, but Clockwork Current is one of the ones I was watching. It's like, God, you are not the it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think like it, it definitely wants to get there. But it, first of all, the writing is way too um, uh, suspect in this movie. It's It's got a lot of things going wrong in the in the script department. But at the same time, I think like it, it does have fun elements to it. It wastes a lot of time in the middle portion. And I think that if you were to cut out some of that and maybe focus more on Walter Grandy and his, his, his characterization a little bit more might've had a more interesting movie than what we get from almost human. Um, but I do think it, like it does come together a bit at the end of the movie where you see that Julio really did have a plan in place. Like he, he goes to Mahoney and Mahoney, he, you know, he basically acts as though Mahoney is his alibi and kind of gets off scot-free because for whatever reason, it's not really clear in the movie. Mahoney's like, sure, I'll vouch for you. Like it's well, you know because he threatens to throw Mahoney for the bank job under the bus. So he yeah, but do we really believe that that would actually work? It, it doesn't really like to me. It just felt like they there needed to be a plot element here, so they kind of just forced him to do something that he probably would never have gone along with. I, I didn't really believe that. I know I agree with you, but that that's the justification. Yeah. Well, I could tell him that. You were the one that planned that bank job. And it's like, yeah, but this, at the end of the day, you shot the cop. You know, that's what I would tell yeah. you. Look, we didn't rob no fucking bank. We were going to. And then you <laughs> shot the cop because you're weak knees in the We were going out. to commit a crime. So we didn't end up getting to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. so 
but I mean, like, it's it's just such a for like a vigilante film. It's so there. There's like no like redeeming parts. Like, I mean, well, I was say like in like the character characterization at least because again. I don't agree with the politics in a lot of these vigilante films from the seventies, um, because it's bad politics and comes from a place of not understanding, having a understanding of like socioeconomic things. But I enjoy them greatly because I one I always enjoy like this idea of these cities being these, you know, run down hell holes that are you know, being overrun by this crime that when you see the crime and you think about it, it's like, yeah, that came from a person's mind because it's like, when you hear about like our local area in the dark at night, it's like, why? What's going to happen? Um, you know, like Ron DeSantis right now, DeSantis right now is on like a crime tour. He's doing all the crime-ridden cities and he's going to Chicago and it's like, that's right. Chicago's been a crime-ridden hellhole for 50 years, allegedly. Still going on, making deep dish pizza. <laughs> so like it's like kind of like the same thing like so but I mean like those films in spite of their bad politics the setting and idea kind of makes for a good story because of like how you can kind of like rationalize it in your mind even no matter what your politics are like with uh your id and like how crazy it all is and I think this film does it in some points. But the fact that we don't have a protagonist really to grasp on to, to kind of relate that kind of uh, fish out of water, dealing with this I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore situation, um, definitely hinders it. And I think the fact, as you said, to the middle part, when we hit an hour in, I thought the film was getting ready to wrap up, and I saw there was 40 minutes left. I'm like, what we have left to fucking do? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's a film that probably should be 80 minutes long because it, the, the last third of it, before we get to the last, like, eight, is, like, reveling too much in its own bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I got that, too. I mean, I mean, I think it has some explosive moments. Um, we haven't talked about any of Morricone score, um, which gets used... Pretty much this, it's it's almost like, it's kind of funny because this, this Blu-ray comes with uh, the CD and it has like 15 tracks on it. Yeah, they play really one, feel they like play they only play one. one. They play two. They play two. They play two throughout the, they play yeah. two throughout the film. One's your sad noir sax of... It just plays that on a loop every time something happens. But the other one's when... uh. Uh, Henry Sill was like walking and it's like he's a sand man walking trying to figure out what's going on. Things are happening. <laughs> he's a sad man. I, I mean, I like the this the score, the Ennio Morricone. I I really like the sax score that like um bookends the movie and is part of like the main theme of Julia where he's gonna do criminal stuff. I think that's a really solid hitting song. But at the same time, I do feel like they bought 60 minutes worth of music from Ennio Morricone and ended up using four. He's <laughs> kind of a waste waste of a... He said, what? It's like, where's, where's the rest of this? <laughs> Where the... Yeah, exactly. It's just like reprise after reprise after reprise. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that they did a pretty good job of that, but I definitely, it's not the best used of any Morricone score for that, for definitely, uh, you know, he does a good job with it, but it's, it probably didn't get enough out of its, its makeup. Um, what did you think about like the, the ending of the movie where we get the, um, the showdown between Henry Silva's Walter Grandy and Julio, who Julio thinks now at this point gotten off scot-free he's he's all set he's going to start another score he's basically doing the same thing over again what do you think about that as we we hear a cripple show up i mean i'm fine with it because like it's kind of like it's what again it's like the point of the film and these vigilante films that's why they're vigilante is that you have these people either 
who are in power to try to stop crime or who have been closely associated and affected by it taking the law into their own own hands because uh, they haven't been satisfied with the results that society has given them. Here, I do actually like that we get to see after everything that happens, um, Sylvia, you know, meet the judge and meet, you know, his lawyer and have this discussion on, like, look, look, there's nothing we can fucking do, you know, there's no evidence that points to it. As, you know, he's so goddamn committed and to the idea that, you know, Julio is is a criminal and has committed these crimes, which does have the evidence to back up, but the legal system doesn't have the ability to support him on these things. That I I do love that because again, that's also where you get a lot of the idea of all these you know with these vigilante films and uh, of the seventies is this fact that the systems let the person down, the silent majority, the law-abiding citizen who's been left behind. You know, anyone can walk up and steal somebody's, you know, purse these days. We're not safe to travel. God damn it, won't somebody do something about it? And he's actually a cop. He's seen the system fail. And he takes the matters into his own hands. That's like the perfect, like, summation, though, of, like, what the genre's about. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. I mean, I don't agree with the message, but, I mean, <laughs> you know... It, I, I, I do like it for being thematically on point, you know. I do like the fact that they actually showed that part of, like, you know, we didn't get to see in Death Wish, you know, the trappings of, you know, Paul Kersey getting sent to court and everyone being like, I didn't see him kill those black people in the train station, you know. <laughs> I never, I you know. So, you know, that is, you know, that is nice, you know, to kind of see that. I didn't mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it does a pretty good job with the, you know, the police crime element and, and the ending itself is, I think, you know, pretty uh, pretty interesting in the way that it plays out as you have Grandy coming up to Julio, basically, you know, a surprise shocked for, for him. He thinks he's getting away with it. He thinks like, oh, no one's going to be able to touch me. Going to do it all over again. And then you have Grandy coming here and he basically says, you know what? Fuck the commission. Fuck the police force. I'm going to do this and I'm going to take them out myself. And then whatever the consequences of that may be are fine with me. So, I mean, I think I think it ends on a, an explosive note. But the way I say the way it does end, though, the way everyone's kind of standing and watching, it's going to be one of those like, did you see him kill him? No, I didn't see him do anything. You know. Yeah. Or, or you know, to... he also waits till Julio pulls out his gun. Yeah. So it's, gonna, so it's. And he says, Justified like... Justified shooting. And he says, call, you know, call the judge. You know, I I killed the murderer who, you know, who's just been exonerated. So, like, if, again, at the end of the day, it's like, see, if you do it this way, you get justice. <laughs> you know, which is not the moral you should be uh, picking up on. You know, yeah. Um. So, I guess... This movie is, you know, it, I, I think it falls a little bit outside of the norm of a Plesioteski. Um, I don't, it's not, they're not, they don't always play out like this. But as you said, there uh, there are serious like John Saxon vibes that we get from Henry Silva. It does in some ways resemble some of the Americanized uh, crime dramas that we have. Um, Man's John Saxon. John Saxon would never love this shit on his lot. <laughs> Uh, what, so what? What do you think about your first excursion into Polizioteski? What would you, uh, what what would you say? Is it something that you would recommend or not recommend? How do you feel? Yeah. So, um, first Polizioteski, um, I will say, is enjoyable. Uh it's not very far off from you know the seventies vigilante genre as a whole. Um, mainly what I know from American films, um, which is a genre, as I've said before, as we've, 
done a bunch of them on here uh, that I do enjoy, uh, in spite of some of the flaws and shitty politics that come with it. Uh, this, this one's like kind of right, right on the money. It's in the feels. It's right in the wheelhouse of like what I would expect from this type of movie. Um, the only thing that makes it kind of different from our American brethren is the fact that it's got really shitty dubbing. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, you know, it's it's right in the wheelhouse, you know. Um, it's not like it's going to be a taxi driver or anything, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it's still a fun, fun film to watch. Uh, yeah. So I guess it, along with that, so out of the um, out of zero to ten teddy bears tragically falling down the stairs what would you give uh almost human the executioner the alonge cops can't shoot whatever (laughs) whatever whatever one you want i I, i'll give it uh a seven out of ten it's a it's a fun enough film it's definitely got all the earmarkings of a vigilante film with some more italian Nuance, and by that I mean not one but two rape scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, going more whole hawk with the violence and actually showing the aftermath. Uh, nothing really over the top. Like, a bunch of people get shot in this film, but nothing's really over the top. The only thing more over the top is... is how many times they get shot, and yet you don't see it. You only see like two bullet holes. Yeah, and you see the and you see the squib. So that's yeah. where I'd say, that's so, so that's where I'd say it's over the top. Like the one of the guys gets shot in the cheek, and they show the squib, you know, the squib in the cheek, you know. Yep. I mean, it's not like well, that's not like what happened. Shot with a stand in the head, but you know, whatever. Um, I think I like I think it's a fine enough film. It's not gonna wow you. It has no political meaning that's really worth value it's very kind of fat it's it is very fatchy you know with the main theme being let you know let the cops do their job and do what they need to do to get the job done uh whether that's intended or not i don't know i haven't read uh, enough on making of the film kind of gather either way mm-hmm I just an overall vibe though, but I mean again, that's kind of the overall vibe in all uh of these types of films. Um it's a slow burn after like the first twenty minutes are pretty enjoyable, it's pretty fast paced, pretty fun. And then it kind of dithers about for quite a while with the whole kidnapping bullshit. Um as much as I think uh Tomas Milan is a f- fun person in this as a Julio in it. He can be really grating at times and your mileage is definitely going to vary on how much enjoyment you get out of these films Mm -hmm. and the types of people that are in these films because they're all archetypes. It's the same thing, like I said, with with like the rape stuff. It's nothing... That's really there for like nuance. It's just there because like shock and awe. Um, so take that with what you will when you watch it. It's nothing overly obscene, and that sounds bad, but it's nothing overly the top or graphic with its violence or sex, to be honest with you. So, mm hmm. Um, especially by today's standards, it's pretty tame. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. But, uh, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Like, for the genre, it does make me want to watch more Politsiateski and see kind of how, like, what was going on in Italy at the time to have more, like, better understanding of why, you know, this type of genre was hitting them at the same time, too. Mm-hmm. Just because of like it's gonna make lira, it's the politics are probably around the same too, you know. So 
in America. It was like, oh, those goddamn black people. But here, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to what, you know, what was going on in Italy. And I don't have enough knowledge, at, you know, to say, yeah, what 60s, 70s Italy was like to have a kind of background on it. Well, it does make me want to check out more and see how they kind of diverge as a uh, film genre. So, yeah, I'd say seven out of ten. I would probably give this a. Yeah, I probably agree with you on that. Seven out of ten. I think that it does a fair job at doing the Poliziotesky crime drama. Um, at the same time, I do think that it has too much of a lull in its middle portion. Um, I think it's it's fun at times. Like it has a lot of fun moments. Uh, you can kind I like because the character is such a sociopath. You can kind of enjoy sitting back and seeing it from a criminal's perspective, uh, knowing that they're probably going to get their comeuppance at the end. And so I think that, like, even though the film doesn't do a really good job characterizing or anything like that, um, you still get enough of that information to have an enjoyable experience in the movies. And then you have Henry Silva there as a, you know, a foil to Julio to give you, um, more of like the, the the judgment and justice um, that he brings to this movie. Uh, with that said, like I, th- I think like a lot of the violence is really over the top, so it's not going to really be taken too seriously. Um, the The score is overutilized um, at times. Like the, it's just they took one track from Ennio Morricone and they they turned it into a full length movie. Um, but it, he does a good job with that music. It's just that. You know, it's just overused in in the way that they've put it in pretty much every scene. The same same track. Uh, the script is a little bit awkward at times. Maybe translation, maybe not. Um, but either way, it's it's it has a little bit of awkwardness. It has a lot of things that you, leave you scratching your head. Like, hmm, that seems like a plot hole. Like when Julio goes to pick up the the bags with of cash and like no one's watching the bags like they just don't like the police force did not put anybody there to like watch it they're just like well I guess we'll just leave it here for them to go pick up and and we'll we'll find them later now another th- other thing too that's really weird like he talked um Silva talks about like if you give him the money he's, she's gonna die we can we can beat this and the fact that they gave her the money. They promised to protect, and she still died. Like, where was his ass chewing about that at the end? Like, you broke rank. We told you to not, you know, do anything. You went. You did something. Got the girl killed. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that, too. Like, no one, they don't come back to that. That The fact they're like, whoops. <laughs> you know, it's just like, they don't really come back hey, to, like, listen, the dad's trying to protect your daughter. And yeah. Da, 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 you. Sorry. I know. Yeah, no, I did I did find that to be interesting too. Yeah, I mean all of these things kind of add up to being just like Whoopsie it's doodles. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's you know, it's not a amazing movie, but it does have its moments and I think that um you know, it it does a fairly good job, which is why I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. All right. So, what's next on our agenda? You know what? Well, I could I could go for more vigilanteism. Yeah. It's like what? Let's run Death Wish. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. No, I'm trying to think. Um, what we should be doing, like thematically. I don't really think that there's anything coming up too them. You know, too much right now. Um, I do. I know what what uh, what day is St. Patty's Day this year? We're done with Leprechaun, so... Seventeenth, so we still have a well, week or so. Isn't that when's Scream 6 out? Scream 6 is out. I think I think you're right. I think it's out on the 17th as well. So that's going to be our new St. Patrick's Day. No, I'm sorry. It's out on the 10th. So we would see it on the 10th and then have it out for our next week's episode. So that probably would take the place of uh, St. Patrick's Day. 
Because it like, we see it on the tenth, and then we would have it out on the seventeenth. Would you like to maybe sneak in a black exploitation film before we wrap this up? Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, which one are you thinking? It's a good question. What do you think? It. Um, I don't really have too much of a uh preference here at this point. Um, w- w- did we do? Did we do coffee? We did do coffee. We did do coffee. We did did we do um have we done Foxy Brown? We haven't done Foxy Brown. We haven't. So we could we could do Foxy Brown. <clears throat> what about Shaft? Shaft could be fun too. Yeah. I would I would be down in Shaft. If you want to do that one, or was your black dynamite? Nah, let's do Shaft. Yeah, let's do Shaft for next time, and we can get in all of our uh, dick jokes. Stroking the Shaft. <laughs> Every time I think you hear the Shaft theme, I think of the early 2000s uh, Burger King Sourdough King, which was the burger that was on sourdough bread. Mm. And it had Shaq in the commercial set to the Shaft theme. It's like, who is man that can jam over any man? Shaq! <laughs> Talking about Shaq back. This is like one of the few things like my, my dad ever is like, let's go to Burger King and get this meal. And there's a uh, sourdough Red meal. Ah. Oh. It was okay. For whatever. Ever. Nothing great. Like, all everything from Burger King. Nothing ever going to blow you away. <laughs> yeah, let's do Chef for next time. Plan on so we'll So we're going to see do the Samuel Jackson 2004. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one. Speaking of Hollywood, when are we going to remake Sweet Sweetback's badass song? Yeah, I... Don't think they're gonna remake that one. Wow, Shaft's been put into the National Film Registry. I guess so. Yeah, no, I know. Di- in two thousand, what a progressive society we live. Yeah, yeah. All right, so plan on Shaft for our next episode. I'll be be good times, uh, and that will be. We'll probably we'll do that in two weeks, right? So it'll be um in two weeks. We're just going to skip this shaft in Africa. Yeah. yeah. One of the sequels. Really? The shaft remake came out in 2000? I feel like they came out later. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was Bush era. Wow, I can't believe that was 2000. Jesus Christ. All right, well, if you want to hear us cover shaft, then you'll, you'll want to cover shaft. <laughs> It's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, you'll have to subscribe to us. So you can subscribe on pretty much any podcasting app you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or home base at anchor.fm. Pretty much anything you can think of, we're on it. So subscribe, leave us a nice review. That always helps us out. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Like us, follow us, whatever you do on the social medias. We are on uh, email as well. You can write to us at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what movies you want us to um, do, and we will take that into consideration. And then you can also donate to us on our Patreon page or on our anchor.fm page, whatever you want to do. Anything you can donate our way will go right back into beer, so thanks in advance. So, next time, you'll hear us cover Shaft. And until then, take care.